Welcome to Bible Prophecy Radio. Are the end times upon us now? How should we prepare ourselves for future events? Will there be a World War III? Let's find out. The proof of the Bible and the existence of the one true God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is verified by the miracles and the fulfilled prophecies that are written in this book. And today we're going to look into the Word of God with comfort to learn what is to be and when. The idea of the end of the world has been a subject of speculation, ridicule, general discussion, fascination, and fancy for 2,000 years. And yet few realize how much the Bible actually reveals about that very subject. And our message begins with this question. How near are we to the time of Christ's return? In other words, are we in the last days? And if so, can you know for sure that this is true? Jesus, shortly before he was put to death on the cross, said to his disciples, I will come again. And 40 days after his resurrection, two angels appearing as men told his disciples as they saw Jesus rising up into the heaven, This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into the heaven, shall so come like in manner as you have seen him go into the heaven. And then Matthew then records these words of Christ. For as the lightning comes, so shall also be the coming of the Son of Man. So will the world soon arrive at this climactic event? And again, how can we know? Well, in Matthew 24... Verses 32 through 36, Jesus tells us to watch for specific signs about the approaching end of the age of man's rule. Listen to this. Now learn this lesson from the fig tree. As soon as its twigs get tender and its leaves come out, you know that summer is nigh. And even so, when you see all these things, you know that it is near, right at the door. Truly, I tell you, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. But about that day and that hour knows no man, no, not the angels in the heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. So it's written that only God the Father knows the day and the hour of Christ's return to rule as King of kings and Lord of lords. So does that, does that mean that we really are left in the dark about one of the most incredible events in all of history? Well, it's true that not even Jesus Christ, the very Son of God, when he was in the flesh, knew when the Father would say to him, Son, go get your children. And nevertheless... He does give us a strong hint of the period preceding the tribulation. And it's generally agreed that the fig tree is symbolic of Israel. Listen again to what we just read. Now learn this lesson from the fig tree. As soon as its twigs get tender and its leaves come out, you know that summer is near. 70 AD, the Romans attacked Jerusalem and destroyed the temple. It was the beginning of the diaspora, meaning the scattering or dispersion of the Jews. Israel ceased to exist. 
the people fled to live among people in other nations. And then 1,878 years passed, and on May 15, 1948, pay attention to that because this is in your lifetime, May 15, 1948, the UN declared that the nation of Israel was established. Did you get that? In one day, a nation was born. Well, not only was that an incredible event, but if that was a fulfilled prophecy of the end time, then it becomes a major sign. And astoundingly, it was proclaimed long before the birth of Jesus Christ. Listen to this from Isaiah 68, verses 8 through 10. Who has ever heard of such things? Who has ever seen things like this? Can a country be born in a day or a nation be brought forth in a moment? Yet no sooner is Zion in labor than she gives birth to her children. So Israel is a young fig tree planted and growing in one day. Summer is near. Biblically, a generation is about 70 years. So are we or our children the ones who will be witness to the events recorded by John in the book of Revelation? Well, let's look further into prophecy for proof of our deliverance from the hand of Satan as he goes about like a roaring lion, knowing, and this is a quote, that his time is short. First, let's look at what are definitive signs that are not of the end. For this, we turn to Christ's Olivet Prophecy. The account begins in Matthew 24, verse 3, with his disciples asking him about the events that would precede the end of the world. So let's hear Jesus' answer from his own lips, reading in Matthew 24, verses 4 through 8. Jesus answered, Watch out that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name claiming, I am the Messiah, and will deceive many. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen. But the end is still not to come. Nations will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. And all these things are the beginning of birth pains. Note that. These are the beginnings of birth pains. And like birth pains, as the time of delivery nears, the pains increase in strength and frequency. Christ understood that his second coming would be over 19 centuries later. He prophesied that certain other events would precede it. But then, what did he say after that? Well, we go on in Matthew 24, and we'll go down to verses 9 through 13, which says this. And he's speaking to the disciples. Then you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death, and you will be hated by all others. And many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. And because of the increase of wickedness, the love of many must grow cold. But the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. So then comes persecution and even death. And by the way, of all of the disciples, all but John, who wrote the book of Revelation, were executed. 
Yes, as the constant drumbeat of current news reveals death and persecutions are coming even on Christians today. What a powerful realization that we not only need to be sure of our own salvation, but that time is slipping away for us to carry out the great commission of reaching others before the curtain falls. Now let's add Paul's description of human conditions in his letter to Timothy to get a more detailed picture of the world as it approaches its destruction. Listen to 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1-6. through 6. This know also, that in the last days perilous times shall come. Now compare this to today, by the way. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce-breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof, from such turn away. It's like hearing a newscast today. The time has come, and these widespread conditions are growing worse daily. Look around. People's conduct is rapidly changing, seemingly always for the worst. More educators and others in authority are sounding the alarm that conditions have exploded out of control. So much more could be said of each term or phrase used in Paul's prophecy. And we haven't even talked about pornography or child abuse, crime and trends in perverted sex and drug abuse, hatred and terrorism. All of these conditions have combined to create an age correctly described as perilous, or at the very least, dangerous. Collectively, this becomes an indicator that these are the last days. And we're familiar with Christ's comparison of the end of the days with, with the time of Noah and Sodom and Gomorrah. Listen to this warning that we find over here in Luke. This is chapter 17, verses 26 through 30. Just as it was in the days of Noah, so also will it be in the days of the Son of Man. People were eating and drinking and marrying and being given in marriage up to the day that Noah entered the ark. And then the flood came and destroyed them all. It was the same in the days of Lot. People were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planning and building. But the day that Lot left Sodom, fire and sulfur rained down from heaven and destroyed them all. And it will be just like this on the day that the Son of Man is revealed. In both eras, the corruption of the people brought the wrath of God that destroyed them and all their works. Every foul and immoral act of those days is being repeated and even magnified. Are counterfeit gospels and false Christs in evidence today? Paul warned us of those who would bring another gospel. And sometimes the messages may be as subtle of preaching that Jesus was indeed the Messiah, but overlooking his message of his coming kingdom. Some pastors preach peace, peace where there is no peace. 
while the good news of personal salvation is suppressed or even ignored. Now let's look at ancient prophecies, ancient prophecies being fulfilled in this day. First, let's go to the remarkable time-limiting message. And again, we're in Matthew 24, and this time we're in verse 14, and it says this, And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Now think about that. In only the last few generations has communication existed that makes the preaching of the gospel around the world even possible. Every generation since Jesus came to earth has had its share of so-called prophets who predict that the end is near. In God's realm, time is nothing. And so there is a ring of truth in their warning. But definite signs must occur before we truly know when a man's folly and Satan's pre-millennial evil is at an end. And let's further explore these signs to see if we could indeed be in the last generation. For that, we go back into the book of Isaiah, and we're looking at Isaiah 17, and this is verses 1 through 3. And remember, this is before the time of Christ. See, Damascus will no longer be a city. What will become a heap of ruins. The cities of Aurora will be deserted and left to flocks, which will lie down with no one to make them afraid. The fortified city will disappear from Ephraim and royal power from Damascus. Now keep in mind that the destruction of Damascus has never occurred to this day. It is a city that has existed since the time of Christ and before. And now, we hear this that I collected from a recent news release. It says this, Syria, where Damascus is the capital, has accused Israel of launching rocket attacks on Damascus after a night of huge explosions near the city. Syrian state media said the rockets hit the Jamariah Research Center, which Western officials have suggested happens to be involved in chemical weapons research. Israeli radio quoted a senior security official confirming an attack, and sources said it targeted weapons bound for Hezbollah militants in Lebanon. It is the second suspected Israeli strike in Syria in two days. Already parts of the Syria, the Damascus is in ruin. Well, perhaps the die has been cast, and Israel has proved its ability to strike into the heart of Syria and more than 300 of that country's elite forces were killed in that last attack. A modern rocket, equipped with even a small nuclear warhead, could indeed reduce Damascus to a heap of ruins, as forewarned in this ancient end-time prophecy. And consider this. Many believe that Russia will be a key player in the Battle of Armageddon. But why would such a military giant become involved in this tiny little land of Israel that isn't much bigger than New Jersey? Perhaps the recent negotiations between Russia and Israel over, over a partnership in offshore natural gas production are one clue. But what if Russia had an excuse to simply take the land and the gas? When the threat against Damascus materialized, the Russian government warned that it would not tolerate further Israeli attacks on Damascus 
and would respond. So make no mistake, the Syrian capital will be destroyed and the world may see the Russian-led war against the Holy Land as being justified. Let's get a little bit closer to home. How about the attack on God's ordained institution of marriage between one man and one woman? Now, if you object to granting a so-called marriage license for two men or two women, a couple without natural affection who are mocking God and nature, then as Kim Davis in Kentucky learned, you may be labeled a homophobe, a religious fanatic, and may be accused of a hate crime, an offense calling for fines and even prison. And Kim, by the way, didn't write that. The one who wrote it will be the judge someday of those who stand before them. And adultery is exploding. The family is fractured. Children are allowed to sue their own parents. And public schools have become socialist indoctrination centers. Terrorism knows no bounds in these climactic days. So how can you fight a battle and defend your nation against an enemy who hides among women and children in a multitude of countries? How can you defeat a one-man human bomb who has been taught that martyrdom through mass killing is rewarded by their so-called God? Thousands of years ago, an angel appeared to Daniel and gave to him one of the most detailed prophecies in the Bible. He concluded in Daniel 12.4 by telling the young prophet this, But you, Daniel, roll up and seal the words of the scroll until the time of the end. Many will go here and there to increase knowledge. What could he have meant by an increase in knowledge? As a whole, the world was a much more stable place until the end of the early 19th century. At that time, the Industrial Revolution gave birth to the modern age. It was not until about a century ago that men began to drive cars and fly, and since then, civilization has gone from the nuclear age to the space age and to the information age in a little more than a half century. Just think of the impact of the printing press, and you can appreciate how dramatically a single invention can change the world. And yet, in the early 1900s, the patent office, get this, actually closed, since it was believed there was nothing left to invent or patent. Oops, (laughs) the arrival of new inventions at the fastest rate in history is changing our life daily. In our generations came worldwide communication through television and radio, add modern computers, phones, iPads, etc., and there's no turning back. As a matter of fact, if you purchased a smartphone, it's probably obsolete before you walk out of the store. And jet travel has only arrived in the last half century, and who would have believed that men would walk on the moon, launch a telescope into space, and put robots on Mars? Although estimates vary, it is now believed that mankind's total fund of knowledge is doubling every few years. And some think this could soon accelerate to every six months. And what about earthquakes and famines and pestilence? Luke 21.11 describes their occurrence in various places as the end approaches. Earthquakes? Who can forget the tsunami that's caused by an underwater earthquake that devastated Japan? 
In the last few weeks, Chile, the Solomon Islands, Vancouver, Indonesia, and dozens of other locations around the globe have experienced damaging and sometimes, yes, fatal earthquakes. And famine? Who has not seen recent pictures of starving children in drought-stricken areas? Did you know that under former chairman Masetung, China's agricultural experiment called the Great Leap Forward resulted in the starvation of 45 million of that nation's population? A repeat of government control of food production under Lenin resulted in 7 million more deaths by starvation. And pestilence, how about Ebola and AIDS, the reemergence of tuberculosis, pneumonia, meningitis, staph, and the list goes on. Do you have the picture? Many of these signs have occurred over the centuries, but never in the same frequency and strength. But we've also listed some that could never have appeared before this century. So how long is it then till Christ returns? Before this greatest of all events occurs, the Bible speaks of a period called the last days, the time of the end, the end of the world, or the age, the end of all these things, the end of days, and of a time when the course of human history as we know it shall be finished. There is, of course, the appearance of the Antichrist. Note that I use the word appearance rather than the coming of Antichrist. Listen carefully. If the time of man's rule is truly near to an end, then Satan's imitation of the Messiah is probably alive and awaiting his chance to become the world ruler. Already, there are world leaders and shadow puppet masters that are preparing the stage. Antichrist will need a world government thanks to the UN, world currency, mark of the beast, chips in the hands and the forehead, world religion, the ecumenical movement, a controlling mark of the beast, the implanted computer chip, programmed credit cards, GPS tracking. Much of these are already in place or waiting in the wings. Yes, we are that close. Paul, in 2 Corinthians 15, verse 51 and 52, thought that Christ would return in the lifetimes of him and the other original apostles. But listen, as I go through this, for the pronoun we, as he spoke of himself and his fellow apostles. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a flash In the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. In his second epistle to the Thessalonians, Paul had come to realize that he had previously misunderstood the timing of specific events that must precede Christ's return. And he even warned of those who would deceive others about the issue of when this would occur. For instance, in 2 Thessalonians 2, verses 1 and 3, he wrote about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, saying that the brethren should be careful to let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come, except there come a falling away first, and that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition, the Antichrist. So, what is holding him back from taking power now? 
Pastor Reinhold, who has done a number of programs on this, uh, on this channel, has explained that it is the Holy Spirit indwelling in those that are saved, preventing the rise of the Antichrist until he, the Spirit, is taken up with the raptured church. And now listen to 2 Thessalonians. This is chapter 2, verses 5 through 9. Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? And now you know what is restraining or withholding that he may be revealed in his own time. For the mystery of lawlessness, iniquity in other words, is already at work. Only he who now restrains, again the Holy Spirit, will do so until he is taken out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. If the church in the indwelling Holy Spirit is indeed the restrainer, then as Paul wrote in 2 Timothy, we who are alive will not precede the dead in Christ. We will leave this corrupted world and its destiny with the horrors of the tribulation followed by the wrath of God against those who cursed his people. For the saved by virtue of being first fruits, the climatic events foreshadowing the end of man's misrule has a different future for us. Christ told his disciples, according to Luke, and right now I'm in uh, chapter 22, and I'm starting in verse 31. I'm sorry, chapter 22, and I'm starting in verse 31. Even so, when you see these things happening, you know the kingdom of God is near. And I tell the truth, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Be careful, or your hearts will be weighed down with dissipation, drunkenness, and the anxieties of life, and that day will close on you unexpectedly like a trap. For it will come upon all those who live on the face of the whole earth. Be always on the watch and pray that you may be able to escape all that is about to happen and that you will be able to stand before the Son of God. So the things that he referred to include the whole series of events prophesied to occur for the first time in history. These things are happening, and they're intensifying now. In Matthew 16, the Pharisees and the Sadducees confronted Christ, desiring a sign from him. And he called them hypocrites, saying, You can discern the face of the sky, but you cannot discern the signs of the times? While the intent of their question was that they wanted a sign that Jesus was the Messiah, Christ's point was that they were unable to properly discern events that were witnessing the signs of the times. Can you discern the signs of the times? Look at the world around you. Compare events with scripture. And what do you see? You see a system that is dying from its own greed, immorality, and lust. Who can doubt this trend? You see, the world needs God's law, which, if kept by all nations, would bring universal peace, happiness, abundance, and prosperity. Cities would become beautiful. Famine and war would disappear, as would racism, ignorance, poverty, and all forms of false religion. Yet, no man, no government 
Not all the governments of men put together can bring about these things. And you and I are indeed approaching a time when the gospel of the kingdom can no longer be preached. We're warned about the coming great tribulation, and we are commanded to do whatever our spiritual gifts enable us to do to spread the gospel. In a future study, we will help you to discover these gifts and help you to use them. This modern world is filled with scoffers. They do not believe that God will intervene or that this is even necessary. Most believers believe that humanity is capable at the last minute of snatching victory from the jaws of defeat and will be able to save itself and solve its own problems. Most believe that everything will turn out all right somehow. In the short term, man is wrong. In the long term, he is correct. People scoff at the thought that Christ is coming and choose to live a rotten and sinful lifestyle, walking after their own lusts, but their scoffing will not change the truth of the prophecies contained in this book. Men must learn bitter lessons that they have utterly failed to bring the world conditions that everybody looks for. Peace, happiness, prosperity, abundance remain elusive despite humanity's continued efforts to find them. And what about you and me? What will we do to prepare ourselves for what lies ahead? No one needs to remain powerless to ready himself for what is coming. Daniel 12, verses 1 and 2 contains this following incredibly important statement. Listen, and at that time, there shall be a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation, even to that same time. And at that time, God's people shall be delivered, every one that shall be found written in the book. And many of them that sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life. New Testament scriptures plainly show that Christ's second coming will be sudden and unexpected. Christ is always depicted as coming like a thief in the night. In his parallel account of the Olivet Prophecy, Luke recorded Christ describing his return to an unsuspecting world. He said, So likewise, you, when you see these things come to pass, know that the kingdom of God is near at hand. For as a snare shall it come on all of them that dwell on the face of the whole earth. Watch you therefore, and pray always, that you may be accounted worthy to escape all these things, that shall come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. Jesus personally expected his followers to carefully study scriptures in preparation for his return. In Matthew 24, verse 42, this simple verse says this, the command for his disciples, therefore keep watch, because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. In contrast, Jesus condemned religious leaders of his day because they did not recognize the signs of the times. The Pharisees and the Sadducees came to Jesus and tested him by asking him to show them a sign from heaven, and he replied this in Matthew 16, verse 1 through 3. When evening comes, you say, it will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning, today it will be stormy, for the sky is red and overcast. 
You know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, but you cannot interpret the signs of the times. Perhaps you have heard the saying, red sky at night, a sailor's delight. Red sky in the morning, sailors take warning. Surprise, Jesus said it first. Jesus expected the people during his first coming to recognize him and to eagerly anticipate his second coming. And we're called both to reflect on Christ's fulfillment of biblical prophecy and look ahead at his future prophecies. And we have every reason to believe in the trustworthiness of the Bible's prophecies about the future. But we can accept them only by faith until the time of their fulfillment. And our faith in these prophecies is not based on a misplaced pious hope. Rather, it is based on the literal fulfillment of prophecies from the past. And this alone gives us great confidence that the prophecies not yet fulfilled will indeed come to pass. Biblical prophecies and their literal fulfillment fascinate our curiosity and challenge our minds, but they are ultimately intended to bring us to a personal point of decision and faith. If the Bible predicted these things would happen, and they actually did happen, then we must take Jesus' claims about himself seriously. If he alone fulfilled these prophecies, then he alone is the Savior, the Son of God, the King of kings and Lord of lords. If he is, he deserves our faith, our lives, and our complete devotion. Now please don't miss a single message as we bring the truth of this living word to a dying world searching for answers. I'm Chaplain R.T. Byron.